Well, we've reached our final sermon in 2 Peter, so go ahead, grab your Bibles, turning to 2 Peter and chapter 3. Uh, last week, we looked at the second coming of Jesus, specifically how the false teachers ridiculed the church for ever believing that Jesus was going to return. Uh, their viewpoint was quite clear. Because it has not already happened, then it will never happen. However, Peter, in writing this letter, gives a resounding defence in the second coming of Jesus, pointing out that God is outside of time and therefore there has been no delay for him in allowing Jesus to return. He also points out that God in love is being patient, allowing mankind to have the opportunity to come to know Jesus as personal Lord and Saviour. Because when he does return, there will be an eternal judgment and those found in Christ will go to heaven. Those who have rejected Christ will go to hell. And so God is giving an opportunity for all mankind to make that call, make that decision. And so he patiently waits before sending Jesus. Today we're going to be finishing off at 2 Peter and, and really these are final comments from Peter to the church and we'll wrap up towards the end by looking at the whole letter and this seven week journey that we've been on through 2 Peter. So we're going to begin and we're going to launch in our passage today from verse 14 of chapter 3. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. And the word therefore links this passage back to verse 12 and 13. For the Christian, we are always straining forwards, specifically for that everlasting life, that reward that is promised to those who believe in Christ and is promised in the word of God. And Peter states here in the previous verses, as we looked last year, that the second coming of Jesus is a joyous occasion for the believer, for it is at that moment where we'll be with our Lord forevermore. End times are not to be feared, rather joyfully hoped for. And as I said last week, we are patiently impatient for that day. We take on God's patience as we wait, but we eagerly want that day to come. And so Peter says, therefore, and notice the word beloved. This is not a chastisement. This is an encouragement for a much loved church. Since you are waiting for these things, that is, we are waiting for end times where the earth will be overcome by God's glory and all of mankind be judged. As we wait for these end times, we are commanded to be diligent in three very specific things. Firstly, we are to be diligent to be found in him. Although Peter is writing to Christians, he would be acutely aware of the false teachers of the time who claim to be a Christian, but have never really trusted Jesus as personal Lord and Saviour. These individuals are still unsaved, and no matter how much they attend church or get involved, unless a personal repentance, forgiveness and a change of heart has occurred, they are not believers in Christ. And so Peter encourages all these churches in Asia Minor to be found in Christ, to be found in God, to be justified, forgiven, our sins forgiven by God, to be sanctified. That is that we're daily becoming more like Christ and for one day for us to be glorified, that day where we get our heavenly reward. And why does Peter encourage this? Simply put, if you're not found in Christ, you're therefore found rejecting Christ. There is no middle ground. When Jesus returns, if you're found in him, then guess what? You have a glorious reward waiting for you. If you're not found in him, then you will have everlasting punishment in hell. 
No matter how tough that is to hear, that is the truth. Heaven or hell, found in Christ or outside of Christ. Uh, the second area where to be diligent, uh, to be found in, is to be found without spot or blemish. We're to live a godly character life. Without spot is to say that we do not have any sin that is marked in our lives. Now Galatians 5, 17 to 19 gives us a little bit of a further insight as to what Peter is meaning here. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the marks of sin in someone's lives. Now we know that we're all sinners saved by grace and we're in this constant battle and temptation to, to not sin. And we're not talking about here that we are to be absolutely perfect and get it all right first time because the reality is without Christ we can't do that. What Peter and Paul are declaring here is that the Christian should be found without sustained level of sin in their life. Instead, when we sin, we are to confess it, we're to repent from it, and then we're to live our new life focused on Jesus after being restored and forgiven and redeemed by our Lord Jesus. Remember, Peter has false teachers in mind as he writes this letter. They've been characterised by their lies. And so Peter is encouraging true repentance from the sin that is marked in their lives to focus on Jesus. And finally, we have Peter calling us to be diligent in being found at peace. Notice at peace, not in peace. Peter here is focusing on the fears that have stirred up in the church. The fear that the second coming won't happen. Or if it does, they're simply going to be judged and consumed by a wrathful God. To be found at peace is to know where your eternal place is, to know that you are safe and secure in the hands of Jesus. He is faithful to forgive sins and he will welcome his family into their heavenly reward. We can at peace be at peace that no matter what, we as Christians are citizens of heaven and nobody can remove us from that position. We're at peace in our very being when we rely on the word of God and the promises contained within them. And so, as we wait for these things, as we wait for end times, we are to be diligent in our life to live in a godly way. Let's continue verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. The most amazing thing about God is that he gives us time by patience to be found in him without spot, blemish and at peace. He gives us time to find salvation, preparing us for this his return through Jesus Christ. The door for repentance, for forgiveness, for restoration is always open for those who seek Jesus in their lives. And notice how Peter leans on the Apostle Paul's teaching not quoting one particular verse or letter specifically, instead he uses Paul as an example of how he teaches through justification, that process of being forgiven, wiped our slate clean and being replaced with the righteousness of Christ and his teaching on sanctification, the process of God changing our hearts. 
Uh, Peter uses Paul to back up his call to live a godly life. And we get a clear picture of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and from verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is from God, who through Christ is reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. By using Paul as an example, we have two founding fathers of the early church promoting the same thing, godly living, living in the new creation, getting rid of the old, pressing onwards to the prize before us, living for Christ, being found in him, for Jesus is returning. And these two founding fathers of the early church are declaring, be ready for the return of Jesus, be godly in your actions, godly in your life, and godly in your heart as you live for Jesus. We continue verse 16. And as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And Peter indicates that Paul's letters often speak of end times with Christ returning and he'll return in all of his glory. However, and this is what I think is quite interesting here, the words of Paul can often be hard to understand. In other words, they're hard to understand or interpret what they actually mean. It is difficult to know the exact details of some of the teaching. When will be the exact date that Jesus returns? What order of events will lead up to it? How will we know when it's happening? These are all questions that are left unanswered by the Apostle Paul and Peter. These complexities in the interpretation mean that the ignorant, those who don't have all the information, don't have all the teaching, and the unstable, those whose faith are blown around like sand in a wind, distort all their meanings of Peter and Paul's words, that's the word of God. And in fact, they go a step further, they distort all of scripture that they don't understand. So they make up meanings leading people to believe in something that is false. You see, at the core, there are two types of false teachers. One who knows the word of God and doesn't like it, so twists it, and the other who does not know the word of God. And because they don't know it and don't understand it, they put their human thinking onto it and twist it. Yet Proverbs tell us, do not lean on your own understanding. We don't have in ourselves understanding of God's word. We need God to help us with that. And so what Peter is saying here is even though it is hard to understand Paul's sayings, Paul's writings, the word of God, scripture, it does not give us license to change it or to warp it or to twist it into something that we feel is more palatable. Rather, we say, Father, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Or as the other uh, writer would say, Father, take me as I am, even though 
I'm a doubter. We may struggle with God's word, but we don't have license to change it. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Knowing that many will distort the meaning of end times and therefore scripture itself, Peter warns the Christians in Asia Minor, this area that he is sending this letter to, as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, to take care. How do they do this? Well, they ensure that they don't get caught up in the error of false teaching, to concentrate on their own faith and knowledge in Jesus Christ. They need to know what is true so they can run away from what is false and they need to be bold in following Christ. I think Paul gives a really clear explanation of this in 1 Timothy 4 and really the first seven verses. I'm going to read them all out for us today. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the ancestry of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. Paul explains to Timothy that there are going to be times where people are going to have questions and debates about what is godly, what is right, what is truth. But Timothy, the young pastor, is to concentrate on godliness because in the characters of God uh, running through us, we'll then approach each discussion and debate, not with irreverence and silly myths, but understanding what truly God wants for us in our lives. And so Paul and Peter right now are both saying the same thing. Take care to train yourself in godliness so you can spot when there is a false teacher and a false doctrine that you're falling into. Let's close out verse 18. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter wraps up his second letter by reminding the readers of his original reason for writing. To encourage Christians to grow. Grow means to advance, to increase. Christians are to advance and increase in grace and knowledge. But of what? Their saviour Jesus Christ. Finishing with this doxology that gives the glory to our heavenly father. Do you see this? We can so often grow, advance and increase in grace, giving grace to others. But we must never forget that we are also called to grow, advance and increase in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for one year or 40 years. We are to consistently be found in Christ, meaning we are consistently to be found growing, advancing, increasing our faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we do it all for the glory of our Heavenly Father. Well, we've now reached the end of this second Peter, the second letter from Peter, written by a disciple who had an incredible faith, but often major struggles with doubt and sin. 
a letter reminding us that Jesus will return and that we are to focus on him defending the gospel truth. A letter calling for the removal of false teachers and the calling for the teaching of true doctrine and true scriptures. But before we close out the, the teaching of this series and looking at this whole letter as one, I want to give you just three simple things, very quick things, that we can learn from today's passage and apply to our lives. Here's the first one. Knowing God's loving grace today. Knowing God's loving grace today. Four times in this letter, Peter encourages us to know God's grace, to grow in it, to increase in his grace. Remember that God's grace is unmerited favour toward mankind, unmerited love and forgiveness toward mankind. You and I are wretched souls on our own, but by the grace of God, we are forgiven redeemed and set free through Jesus Christ. However, just as the Christians in Asia Minor, we can often forget God's grace. We can often find ourselves back in a works-based salvation, trying to do all the right things to to find favour and merit with God. We forget grace. And so 2 Corinthians 12 and from verse 9 reminds us, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, folks, God's grace takes us in our weakness and strengthens us for his work, his kingdom and his mighty plan. We must never forget the grace of God, his unmerited. We can do nothing to gain it except have faith in his son. And then God provides us his grace to take us through this life. Uh, The second thing I want to show you in this series is number two, the study of God's word, the study of God's word. I know this is something that I almost say in every single sermon I do, but it's so important and I think so easily forgotten because the striking thing in Peter's letter is either everyone has somehow forgotten what God's word has said or they simply ignore it because they don't really understand it. The church that Peter is writing to no longer knows what is truth and what is not. The false teachers don't understand the consequences or simply they just don't care. There's a distinct lack of knowledge of truth. And so we must study God's word to know what is true. If the Bible is held up against each situation and what you're seeing is the Bible's telling you something different than that situation, it's the Bible that is truth. It is the Bible that we look through. It's a a lens that we put on and we look at life to see truth through God's word. Psalm 1-2, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. We're to study it daily. Psalm 119-111, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we study God's word, we won't sin against God because we know what is right and what is not. And so we live a righteous life. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. We must study the word of God so that we know what to do. The problem with the church in 2 Peter is they didn't know what to do because they had stopped looking at God's word and stopped hearing the teaching of Christ. We must study the word of God, look at the gospel and see truth in it and then live by it. 
Uh, Third and finally, we are to praise God for his patience. Isn't this a wonderful truth that God is patient with us? I've become acutely aware during this series that God's patience with mankind and specifically with myself. And I want you to take you to Romans 7, what seems like a confusing passage, but actually shows the glory that God deserves in his patience towards each one of us. Romans 7, 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. There's a lot of I do's and I do not want in that passage. But what is clear is that Paul wrestles in his life with what is right and what is wrong. And he needs to lean on God and lean on the patience of God as he journeys through life, learning to live a godly life and not relying on the flesh and what is sinful. And so these are the three things that I want to encourage you to do. To know God's grace today, that it's unmerited, that you can't do anything but have faith in Jesus to gain it. To study God's word, to really know what it says. And then finally, to praise God for his patience. Now, something I've done often, and it's really become a habit now, every time I preach a letter of the New Testament, I read out the whole letter. And that is because Peter, when he writes this letter, didn't plan for verses and chapters, didn't plan for a seven-week teaching series. Instead, he wrote a letter to the church. And the expectation is that the church would be gathered and a spokesperson would stand and read out the letter in one go. They would hear all of it, the public reading of scripture, the public reading of the letter. The false teachers would have been there, the, the people confused would have been there, the young pastors and elders, the church body, the families, they would have all been there and they would have heard the word of God. They would have heard this letter read out to them. And so rather than going through verse by verse, which is what we've done for seven weeks, I would now like to finish this seven week series by reading out the letter with our newfound knowledge. And as I do so, I want you to catch a few things. Watch out for the joy that is in Jesus. Watch out for growth in his word and also look out for the certain hope of the return of Christ. And so For the last seven weeks, we've been studying 2 Peter, and this is the second letter of Peter, and I'll read out the whole letter. Simon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that though them you may through them that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall, for in this way there will be richly provided for you and an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as, uh, of a reminder, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by the way of reminder, since I know that the putting off my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall all these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from the God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have uh, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which we'll do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Chapter two. But first, but false teachers, prophets, all arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in the destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing up upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued the righteous lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among the day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds, and he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials." and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the just, uh, in the lust of defiling passion and despising authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce uh, blasphemous judgment against them uh, before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. 
suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, revealing in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in green to accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain for wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm, for in them gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice of sinful, uh, sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them and than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the soul, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Know this, first of all, the scoffers will scoff and in the last day they'll continue to scoff following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed were deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heaven and earth that now exists are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach it repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth will be works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in, li in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to this promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care 
that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And that is Second Peter. And with these words I finish. I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me and I'll never be alone. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this seven-week series that we've done. We thank you for God's word. We thank you that we have Second Peter to study through. Father, we pray that we would defend the gospel, that we would stand strong on God's word and that we would look to the day where Jesus returns. Father, we praise you that we will never be alone, that we found a home in you, that we found security in you. Father, we praise you that we don't need to be tossed about in the storm, but we can be rock solid on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that as we continue to study your word, we pray that we will see you more and more, that we will be daily sanctified and we strain forwards to the day of glorification. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.